106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new so, uh, you know, that's what you, uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sun down, shining in him. Lord, Lord, Bay, Stacks, and Jacks, Tom Tomow. We had Matt Burns should be in a bit, but in a minute we had Greg Pappas on the board and as a co-host, so he's doing double duty this morning. I'm here. Uh, I'm SMB Futures you. up 25, Nancy Futures up 105. Uh, we might actually see an update today. Um, who the hell knows? But uh, uh, we have uh, not had one of those in a while. As a matter of fact, on Friday we were uh, we were down. Uh, this is a as a way of review. We had the. Dow Futures down 366. S&P was down 19 and a half. But the NASDAQ actually was up a little bit, 47. So it's kind of a mixed bag, but not so much in the Dow. Whack, whack there. Um, so I think oil had more to do with that Dow, right? Um, the oil companies there's only, there's got only, whacked. There's only one oil company left in the Dow. Oh, well. Even Exxon's not in the Dow anymore. It's only Chevron's the only one. So yeah, that's well, Chevron was down like another... Four or five percent, or whatever, six percent. Yeah, but it was uh, some a lot of them were in there. We got McDonald's up five forty nine this morning. Is they came out with a uh, big earnings based on a f- <laughs> price hikes all through the system. Go figure. Um, so their sales were up eight point eight percent, and I think their price increases were more than that. So we're starting to see five bucks. What is the stock? Two two fifty something. So uh, two and a half percent. Two sixty one oh three. It's two percent. Yeah, nice. Um, we've got NVIDIA up five bucks. We've got uh, what else we have up this morning? We've got uh, uh, JP Morgan up a buck. JP Morgan was. I mean, up. if you look at if you look at McDonald's uh, ticker over the past what six or eight months, I mean, it's been straight down. So they they had a, a run up to almost three hundred. So now two fifty five. Oh uh, well, well, we see what McDonald's is. Uh, it topped out at. Uh, yeah, we're right uh, back to where we were like last year ish. Yeah, there's a lot of stocks like that. I mean, if you're not yeah. talking about the Magnificent Seven, it was 298.41 and uh, 6.26. Yeah, I think they almost got there. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they quite made it. So they didn't increase the prices yet. So now you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well I mean, we're seeing that pretty much across the board. I mean, we, I was, uh, you know, probably talking about a voice in the wilderness, uh, Greg. I mean, for years, as you see these concentrations in areas, uh, and, uh, and and you just see. You know, individual industries get more and more concentrated, and yet you don't really see the the uh, monopolistic price increases stuff. I mean, it's almost like they don't they don't even realize how much power they have until one day they do, and, uh, and then it's a it's a problem. I mean, I, I know Amazon was a 
you know, knocking out one 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 place after another, and uh, you know, for a lot of really, in my opinion, really stupid tax policies on the part of states. And you really do have to wonder. I mean, uh, I uh, well, I mean, it's without getting into the, the politics of the you know all the Trump indictments and all the other stuff. I mean, without getting into those politics, it is painfully aware to virtually all Americans. I think. I mean, I don't speak for everybody of the incredible selectivity of our of our of our law enforcement system. I mean, the idea that states that are all broke are selectively not enforcing tax laws against Amazon for damn near a decade or two, probably because you know family members are buying stuff from Amazon. <laughs> you know, I, I I can't even imagine that to be honest with you. But uh, I mean, if you were to even mention that to people, they would uh, not even. Uh, you know, hey, it looks like Matt might be here. Yeah, he is. Looks like he's buzzing away. Uh, might have to let him in. Probably a thought. Um, so yeah, it's a. You, know, you look at all this stuff, and you really do wonder the selective prosecution. We got nine million laws, and nobody enforces anything unless they don't like you, which is really kind of an odd situation. We have, we have big companies never seem to have tax. You know, we have tax problems. We got a country that's broke, and we got corporations paying less and less of the, every year. So it's it's really a you know you really have to wonder what we're doing and how we're going moving forward because it just seems to be getting worse instead of better but maybe I'm just getting more aware but anyway the uh, price on some of this stuff is uh, the, the, you know, all of a sudden now you have I mean, McDonald's as an institution I mean we're in just about anywhere you go it's the first place you see and they have you know so they it'd be really interesting I wonder if we could find the stats and I should probably probably look for them it's the rents that they're charging yeah, I wonder if those have varied at all throughout the years, similar to the Big Mac. Well, you, you ask yourself, um, and the, the idea of whether or not you have, you know, monopoly power is if if you raise your price or if you close your place or whatever. And a perfect example, Greg is. I mean, Greg, for those who don't know, is a is a seasoned commodity trader. Uh, in addition to helping me out on the show, um, I mean, it's clearly if 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 you own. Uh, you know, Greg, Greg Pappas' family owns some huge farm in Iowa, and he decides, screw it, I, I, don't, I don't like the way the prices are, I don't like this business anymore, you know, I'm going to grow uh, beans or peas or something. Um, the, the idea, the market could give a crap. I mean, you might see, if you were some huge farm in Iowa, Greg, and you, you decided to not make corn one year because you're pissed off at the seed guy or something, Market doesn't care one bit. Well, it, it, I guess in, in the edge, if you if you carry it out to the you know fiftieth decimal point, it might make a difference, you know. But uh, but really, it makes no difference, like you're saying. Right. Or if uh, if you decide to raise, it's the definition yeah, of a commodity. Yeah. Well, but, but if you raise, decide you want to get five bucks instead of four, nobody'll buy it, right? So, but I mean, you wonder the pricing power. The thing I always ask is, I obviously studied this. Not obviously, but I have studied a lot of this stuff in college and so forth a long time ago. But right now, if you walked into Home Depot and they and they're you know they still have a couple other stores that in in this area for sure you got Menards going after them. But I uh, you know if McDonald's tomorrow, if you walked in and everything was up forty percent tomorrow, I mean, uh, what do you suppose their sales would go down? I mean, their their volume would go down ten percent. Who, who's going to walk in? and walk out without their cup of coffee. You may not go back the next day, but they have serious pricing power. Now, it doesn't mean they can charge $10 for coffee when everybody else is charging 350 
but still, they're going to get somebody there. I mean, it's, I mean, ten might be a little too much, but you know what I'm saying. They they have they could raise their price tomorrow four percent, and I'll bet their sales actually go up, which yeah. to me means you know monopoly power instead of nobody buying it, right? Yeah, the <laughs> the monopoly meaning whatever goes at corporate. I mean, they have to. The franchisees have to. Uh, who, who prices this stuff? The franchisees or the corporate? Or uh, all it, corporate. Even but like the coffee and stuff. The, well, the, the are for the company, um, they take in a what's it called? A, a, it's a, a service fee. fee. It's a royalty fee. Or it's a service yeah. fee, and I think I think that's going up. I don't know. I think it's going from four to five percent. Is what I saw. Um, so. And then it changes. I think is it's for each hundred thousand in sales um, you generate, but that's a pretty big increase as far as I mean, well, a whole percentage point. So. Well, you see in the restaurant and the bar business. I mean, you're familiar with that. I mean, <laughs> the people downstairs, you know, they raise the price of uh, you know uh, a glass of wine by say ten percent, actually right. more than ten percent. And I'll say, gee, that's kind of a nice increase. Yeah, well, the price of wine is up. 10% and I go I understand it but you're talking to maybe somebody who can still do the math if the price of the bottle of wine goes up from 12 bucks to 13.20 and you get five glasses of wine out of there and now you want up five bucks it doesn't equate does it right <laughs> I mean obviously I mean the, the math there is a little a little sketchy but what uh, yeah probably I mean probably you'd look to keep your drink costs I don't know 30, 30 to forty percent, probably. If I'm that I think most stuff. places are way more than that. You're higher percentage than that. You guys are unusual. No, the, your drink cost. You want some people have it lower, but you know thirty percent. I think is the general what you want. Well, there's people that are, are serving uh, five glasses of wine out of a bottle and charging twelve dollars, and the bottle of wine costs them eleven. I mean, that's kind of a lot. It's, 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 yeah, that's not uncommon. Yeah, it's not uncommon. So it's sixty bucks, and the bottle costs you. That's that's more than thirty percent. By my math. Yeah. Yeah, it's but like don't restaurants make more money on their drinks than on their food? That'd yeah, be yeah. What seventeen? Yeah, seventeen ish. Anyway, do we uh, probably could wait for. Uh, we'll talk a little bit here, Mike, about the gold spike on Friday. But I wanted to get into that. Did you get a chance to read that article from Al Jazeera? It was interesting. Uh, I thought we sent. No, it I to didn't, you. Tom. I'm not well, sure. Uh, I thought we sent it to you, but any, anywho, you um, did. I think you're right. right. Um, it was just kind of a indication. A lot of what you and uh, Lou have been saying in terms of policy, uh, kind of getting all shredded here all of a sudden. But anyway, the uh, was trading on Friday, and all of a sudden, about one or one thirty in the afternoon, there was a pretty reasonable spike in gold over two over uh, two thousand. Just all happened all of a sudden. It was up like fifteen bucks. Now this morning. Um, it's uh, well, even though it shows up, it's it was uh, down a little bit from where I saw it on Friday. Are you talking about the uh, which contract, Nymex or oh, just the, the, the GC? But it oh, GC, over, yeah, yeah. So, Gold. But it was uh, I wonder what announcement came out on Friday because that thing to scoot up there all of a sudden it went from like 1991 to 2005 real real quick. You know, it's kind of hanging in there. Well, maybe it was the fact that we bombed some Syrian positions. Yeah, maybe. Um, anyway, Mike, I think just, the dollar finally started going down a little bit too. That um, might have something to do with it. If you well, today it's down like 
it's down just a hair. I got the euro at 105.7, kind of where it's been, and a pound at 121. So they may have been right around that 105, 106, and 121, 122 now for several weeks. Yeah, gold you can really see. Um, I I, I want to say as an inflation indicator. So now if they're believing the the government, maybe saying that inflation might be a little bit more than we thought, you buy some gold. You can uh, look to, I would say, the dollar mostly, because gold is a currency too, and yep. you want you want to be able to maintain some semblance of purchasing power. So, uh, figuring, or or maybe you know some hedge fund player because gold is the smaller futures market. Maybe they just decided to get <laughs> start paying up for gold, and that just took the market because. But normally you think it as an inflation indicator. Well, you would. I'm, I'm surprised. I, uh, I I got a lot of my people involved in the GDX, the gold uh, the gold miners index, and because uh, I, you know, I uh, it it should not. Don't take what I say should be as a trading advice because it, it it's it's not exactly working here. I mean, it's working some, but not. Uh, it's it's not supposed to be. Depending on how much hedging. I mean, First of all, let me start from the beginning. An individual company, if you're mining gold, is very similar to uh, grown corn or soybeans, right, Greg? And that you, if you think that you're mining gold at, at $1,500 an ounce or something, and you see the price spike to 1800 you might sell your, sell your gold forward using the futures market. You may lock yourself in, just like a corn farmer might, a soybean farmer might, a wheat farmer, whoever it is. Well, if you do that, we used to have, before there was a gold index, a gold miners index, People used to trade Barrick Gold and a few others on the trading floor a lot. But, so, but there was a report, Greg, and I don't know if I just don't get it anymore. There was a report of how much the companies hedge their stuff out. So some days you'd see gold rally and you'd see like Barrick Gold not even go up and you're saying, what the hell's going on there? Well, it could be that they hedge you know, 80% of their production or 90 and All of a sudden when the hedge comes off, you'll see the this, this stock spike. Because in theory, it's like anything else. I mean, if when you when you produce stuff, you know, it's... $1,500 an ounce, you might be break-even as a gold miner. At 16, you're making a little bit, 1700 But once you get through 2000 I mean, if we were to go from 2000 to 2500 and I'm not saying we will, if we did, you I'm going well, to say <clears throat> that's all profit. So the response between the miners and the price of gold should not be linear, correct? After, <clears throat> after they cover their their cost of bringing it out of the ground and distribution that's the rest is uh, a line item towards or it's yeah it's earnings yeah so I mean, <laughs> so they should make like they could either keep it yeah. or, or distribute it but that's that's past their break even and what you want is that to stay up there but I mean, yeah if it goes from, if they're making money at 2000 if it goes to 2200 you would the price of gold went up ten percent, but their profits should go up forty percent or something, right? Right, because if their break even is, <laughs> if your break even is, what is it, fifteen hundred? I mean, you you should be, you should be tripping over and, yourself, yeah. you know, to sell it at eighteen hundred or two thousand. You should you should be buying bass boats around at at the bass pro shop, right? I'll come in here, bass mm-hmm. boat. I'll Mike, we could trickle down with the best of them. Bass boats around. Bar drinks around, you know. I want to be one of the, I want to the tricklers instead of the trickleese once in my life. 
<laughs> the people of the government get all the money and say, okay, you guys go spend it to other people. I, I, I want to be the first, the first group that gets it instead of the last. What do you think? Well, that sounds good, Tom. Yeah, we, we would. We'd at least spend it. We wouldn't hoard it. We'd be happy to spend well, it. Well, but you're a, you're a, uh, well, you're definitely a tax and spend guy. So. Well, you know, hey, you know what? The day I had to write a billion dollar check to the government, the happiest day of my life, I'd buy drinks all over the place because that means I had a really <laughs> good year. Most people would be all pissed, not me. I'd be happy. Just saying. Yeah. Assuming I had it. <laughs> Assuming it wasn't going to bounce. Um, any, anywho, uh, yeah, so this, it's interesting when you look at all these intrigues because there was an article last week with Greg was a, they had Turkey buying gold. How, not, what, how does Turkey have any money to buy gold? They had Turkey buying, they had three, was it Turkey, uh, was it Japan? Anyway, there were three countries that they thought were, that they bought how many tons of gold in the last quarter? Yeah, I, I got to believe China's a liquidator because they're kind of broke. Um, you know, so you, you never really know who's doing what in the gold market, uh, but except for except to look at the price. But um, I'm surprised that all this worldwide stuff really hasn't affected the grain markets at all, is it? No. What uh, what are moving the grain markets right now are mostly weather here and in South America. So they're looking to, or at least the traders are looking to. Um, El Nino and kind of crop conditions in Argentina and Brazil rather than um, anything specific here because, you know, our, it's a known quantity, really. We've got, let's call it 80% of the harvest done here. We're, we're kind of wrapping up rather than... Is that early or is that pretty much on schedule? We're ahead of schedule, yeah. Well, yeah. how much has the war in Ukraine affected the grain markets? Um, the prices not as much anymore i think the effects they've discounted the they've uh we've priced in pretty much yeah they've if, kind of written them if, out then if, or like written a, them in, if there's I a 70 percent loss i think it's about they're saying that ukraine's going to maybe produce at 30 to 50 percent maybe yeah so, okay so that was a, a large loss and then the prices were high enough the past two years or a year and a half to where the rest of the world has said, you know, this is high enough. Let's let's produce more, and so the production and, and exports from here and exports from South America and the, that those have actually gone up. So we have more wheat, beans, and corn, you know, these past year and a half than we did before. <laughs> so go figure. Well, I mean, the the, the uh, corn and wheat even dis even after Ukraine takes the. 50% of their production out. Well, the so. corn and wheat here and soybeans there, we, on a scale of 1 to 10, was this a 10-year, a 9, an 8.5? was pretty good up, pretty well up there, huh? Yeah, I'd say solid 8.5. We've had a if couple better, but, but it was right. it's very, pretty much there. Yeah, very, very good, and we didn't, and the weather was uh, very dry, and then it was wet, and they were nervous about the the yields at the end of the season. But what's turned out is the corn, especially, has has been very good yields throughout throughout most of the the country. So. Mike, when I started in the business, and my uh, brother Dan was traded uh, uh, <coughs> corn options, <coughs> I'm going to say the uh, well, the price was about two fifty a bushel, and the what was the average yield back then uh, <coughs> was maybe maybe the the best guy in a really good year got two hundred bushels. That was really a feather in his cap. And now the whole area in Illinois and Iowa that is that has really good soil, that whole kind of swath in the middle, they all average what, two ten now, two fifteen? 
Yeah, to give you an idea kind of more in Iowa, um, to give you an idea, the land values in Iowa are probably 13,000 an acre. So that gives you an idea if you've got what, um, call it 50 bushels an acre. Um, yeah, I mean, that's 250 bucks, <laughs> 250 bucks an acre, and it's going for what, around 13,000. Well, isn't the uh, we got to go here to break, but the uh, I'm to show my my history. I should have taken racks for jacks in uh, in, in school, Mike. But isn't uh, isn't this all because of a glacier shoved all the good uh, soil? Basically, it starts in a little bit in Ohio, comes across Indiana, big chunk of Illinois, and big chunk of Iowa has you know topsoil. It's like unlike any place else other than maybe Argentina, right? Right. And that's you're right, Tom. That's directly right. related to the biodiversity inside the soil. Well, I think it got scraped down there from the glacier, didn't it? Or pushed? It did. It got some of it got pushed down. That's why the Midwest is the heartland of our uh, agricultural production. Plus, we get some rain and stuff. You go out in Nebraska, all you see is uh, you fly over them. All you see those big round things because if it's not sprinkled, it doesn't grow, right? The sprinklers go. They have the big round things. You ever ever flown over there, Mike? Where? The, uh, no, I know what you're talking about, yeah. the big sprinklers, right? But they go around in a circle. So when you, you're flying from here, all you see these circles of green and nothing else is, everything else is brown. Anyway, as we up 25, thankfully, and as we up 103, maybe a good day today. Be right back, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401- 8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. 
I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation of the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. We have Greg Pappas in the studio. We have Matt Byrne on the board. We have Mike Murphy with us. We should have Jan Flanny here as well. Um, S&P Futures up 26. This has kind of been the pattern except for last Monday. What was it, six in a row or five in a row? Greg, where the... Uh, Mondays, you know, we sold off on a Friday in anticipation of the world falling apart on a weekend, and then when it didn't, we'd, we'd pop up on Monday. Last Monday, it didn't work, but today it looks like it's going to, at least so far. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX up 78.5%, FTSE up 52.7%, CAC around up 45.7%, so 0.7's damn near across the board. Again, Friday, Dow was down 366. A lot of that was, uh, I forgot to mention JP Morgan, right? Because Jamie Dimon said he's selling about a million shares or something. Yeah, he, he picked up $130 million into like his that. personal account. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> well, he, he, he basically divested himself as part of the company, so the company kind of laid an egg a little bit this time. S&P was down 20, NASDAQ was actually up 47. Over in Asia today, we have the Nikkei down 294, that's a full percent. Hang Seng up 7, call that flat, but they're over 17,000. They had ducked under for a bit. 17,406 after they're really on Friday. Shanghai up 3 bucks, uh, call that flat. Uh, Bands. Up four basis points, we're back to 4.89. Every time we get to five, it has come back down, and the market has kind of gone down and come back up, but it's it's hovering right about that five number. The bun unchanged 2.82, Japan up two basis points to 0.897, just pushing that 0.9 real close. Uh, oil uh, down 111, 84.43, which is kind of odd. You would think if there was a war in the Middle East, oil would be spiking, but it's not. Brent down 99 cents, 89.49, natural gas. Now 14 cents, 333. Our Bob unchanged, 230. We've got gold up 560. Like we said, over 2000, 2004. Silver up 41 cents. It's almost 2%. 23, 29. Now every other time it's gone back over 23, it's been a sale. Now, does that mean it's a sale this time? I don't know. It looks a little stronger. Copper up 5 cents, 369. And we've got crypto down 45 bucks. Basically not moving at all. 34,547. As we sort of mentioned earlier, uh, the U.S. dollar is down slightly with the bond up to one, uh, euro up to 105.8 and the British pound up 121.2, but those are really small moves. Uh, finally, Matt, what do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? 
Yeah, good morning. Currently 6.38, absolutely not doing too well uh, on uh, October 30th, 2023. Uh, weather in Chicago currently 34 degrees, a high of 40 today. Humidity currently at 62%. Uh, freeze warning in effect for all of Illinois, so watch out for all your plants. Tomorrow we're expecting some light snow and rain for Halloween around midday, but should be cleared up around evening. Down in Phoenix, Arizona, clear skies, 54 degrees currently, a high of 81 degrees. Sunny skies expected there and throughout the week. In the MLB World Series yesterday, Diamondbacks beat Rangers 9-1. It was Saturday. Series tied to 1-1. Uh, both get teams back again at 7 o'clock. In the NFL yesterday, Bears lost against Chargers 30-13. Bears scored two touchdowns from running back Darrington Evans and quarterback Tyson Bagent. This game marks the Bears' sixth loss this season. It's all for now, Chief. Back to you. Did you watch any of the game, Mike? Yes, I did, Tom. I watched the beginning. Hold on. Before you guys go to sports, I looked up the average all-in cost of, what's it called? The average all-in sustaining cost for both Barrick and Newmont. Those are two big ones. Right. So Newmont, uh, Newmont's all-in cost was up 13%, and it was about 13 1,576 an ounce. And Barrick's increased... This this is in 2023, so I'm not sure if it's uh, current, like, you know, all the way up to October, but at some point in 2023, um, it looked like Q1, Newmont's cost was 1,376 per ounce, and Barrick's cost was 1,370 per ounce. So and when they produce this in some of the remote areas of the world and they got to get it someplace right right so i guess if they went nuts and they started started going into even more remote places or different opening up new with higher costs then that might go up but um at at the beginning of what was it 2020 it looks like it was you know just around a thousand dollars so now we're at 1300 plus after (laughs) after three years or so so that's a well. There's your inflation thing. figure, Tom. Again, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. The one of the, I think one of the uh, areas where more gold <clears throat> was mined than really any place else was in right near where Lou has his place in Colorado, Cripple Creek, right? So now we know why. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know what they're doing is, uh, you know, they have all that. What, what's what do they call it? The 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 crap that's left over, Mike. The, the tracings. Is that what they call it? Yeah, Tom. I don't know. It might be trace, whatever, but. Okay. Well, there's yeah, big I piles no, of it. I really don't. That's have why any he's idea. got the nice cufflinks now. Well, there's big, big piles of this crap all over the place. I mean, gold mining is a, is an incredibly dirty business because you, because what do you, what do you, if you dig out how many tons, what do you get? Like a couple ounces. I mean, you got to wash it and break it all down. It's it's, and you need it's a lot of water. And anyway, so they have these big piles of stuff and it get real dusty. And they, these companies would have to keep watering it on these on dry days. Well, what Lou says they're doing is the tracings. Whatever they did, you know, a hundred years ago, they didn't do a very good job. So people have essentially contracted to take the tracings through another process, and they're mining gold out of the stuff that was considered the garbage. Right. And, okay. And I don't know how much like they're not, they're getting out of it or whatever. But um, I read this thing this morning, Mike. I'm switching over to the war. Eight thousand people dead on the one side. I don't know if you can if you can necessarily go with the numbers there, but. Anyway, there's an article that came out from, uh, and this actually kind of coincides with what you and uh, 
Lou of Kahneman saying, there's an article here by Marwan Kabbalan, K-A-B-A-L-A-N, from uh, Al Jazeera of all places. And, uh, Al Jazeera is a good source. Yeah, you know, I, used, I really I like it. I, Al Jazeera America, I thought, was one of the most the better sources uh, around. But yeah, this was an opinion piece, though, so it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. but but he basically, and I, I wanted to run this by Mike, is he talked about the the not not just I don't think this could possibly could be just one administration's uh, strategy. Um, there's a lot of this stuff, even though these guys fight back and forth across the aisle. I think a lot of this stuff is somewhat agreed upon. But it said that the, 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 since we've all talked about, God, for how long now, Mike, the idea that China, I mean, a little longer than you, that China's becoming more and more of an enemy every year, you know, because they have territorial uh, stuff. They want to, you know, ambition, shall we say. They have all kinds of stuff. Um, so it says here, over the past three years, the Biden administration, this, this has been longer than three years, has been trying to limit its involvement in the Middle East and focus on China it's part of a pivot, pivot to Asia strategy. And you and Lou have kind of mentioned sort of that. It said, to do that, the U.S. hoped to cool off tensions in the region by facilitating the normalization of relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel and de-escalating with Iran. This is what they, the plan was. Now, whether you know, it was a good plan or whether it was... Sounds capable. about par for the course. Yeah. It, it also, <laughs> well, that, that was also the Obama doctrine, Tom. I mean, Obama started the... You know the reconciliation with Iran; it just hasn't worked out yet. So it also hope to challenge the Chinese influence in the region and boost India's by establishing an economic corridor that would link in India, the Middle East, and Europe. The proposed projects had, the proposed project had two parts: the eastern corridor, which would connect India to the Arab Gulf states, and a northern corridor, which would link the Gulf states to Europe via Jordan and Israel. It was supposed to be the U.S. response to the giant, uh, China's Belt and Road Initiative, which we've talked about. Uh, the Hamas attack has put an abrupt end to these plans. First, it has effectively frozen the normalization process between Israel and Saudi Arabia, thwarting the conclusion of a regional security arrangement. And the attacks also compelled the U.S. to reverse its policy of diminished uh, military presence in the region by ordering the biggest military buildup since the war on, IS, on uh, ISIS. The Pentagon deployed one aircraft carrier in the Eastern Mediterranean, while another one has been sent to the Gulf. Together, they provide more than 100 aircraft with attack capabilities as well as cruisers, destroyers, and all the other stuff that goes with it. Uh, third, the U.S. efforts to de-escalate tensions with Iran have also come to an end. Just a month ago, the two countries reached an agreement on a prisoner swap and the release of $6 billion worth of frozen Iranian assets. It was hoped the deal would encourage Iran to restrain its mil- militias in Syria and Iraq, launching further attacks on U.S. ground forces. Now, this basically says, the guy said this has kind of been blown up from top to bottom, and I'm not so sure I, I disagree with that plan necessarily, but the, what are the best laid plans of mice and men? I mean, it sort of made sense that if we were going to have to spend more money on China, that we would try and do something like that. Mike, was the plan lousy, or did these guys just with, with one with one stroke of a sword they managed to screw it all up on us, or what? No, I think the plan is a bad plan, Tom. Be- really, only because Iran's you know you know wants to destroy first off Israel and then us in the long term. It's just like the Chinese. The Chinese want to dominate the world in the long term. But you don't think that any any way of uh, diffusing like Saudi and Israel and bringing India in, you don't think, you don't think that could possibly uh, I think the, the plan always has been that the Iran, or the, the thought always has been is the Iran government is not a long term government. And if you <laughs> 
in, in a few minutes. Well, I mean, it's, the economists have thought that way forever on these totalitarian regimes, yet they managed to hang in there. Flir- well, I mean, so since 1979, essentially, we have had the theocracy in Iran, and I don't see it going away. Um, well, I, I think the idea would, was that if you could you know, kind of isolate them and get all the other Gulf states friendlier with Israel, India, and, and trading up into Europe and so forth, that you could that you could possibly, and I ask, the, the the failure of we've seen in the last two months is right there. I'm not so sure I wouldn't have gone along with the plan. I guess what I'm saying. Well, I don't think I would have, but you know I'm a little more hawkish than you. So. Well, I mean, it's okay. What what would be all, you say? Iran's always going to be the bad guy in the area. What what. What 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 then's your plan? <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean I, I agree. That well, you... I agree with what uh, you know, with what actually with what Trump was trying to do by isolating Iran, make them the pariah. Well, they already are a pariah, but really make them a pariah. Um, okay. Well, but if everybody else kind of hooks up and they're all they're on the on the always on the outside looking in, isn't that sort of the same thing in a different way? Yeah, but the, the the process of appeasing Iran has not worked at all. What good did it do us to, uh, you know, drop the uh, the sanctions that the Obama administration did? That that didn't help us at all. I think Iran's in a in a pretty difficult spot right now because now it's obvious who they're going to have to choose to support. And it's, it, you can't hide anymore because they're either going to pick Lebanon or Hamas or, or they've got to, if they want to continue to <laughs> uh, antagonize us and Israel, they kind of need to be more transparent in what they're doing. And I think it will show kind of who they're picking. You'd imagine that uh, Iranians would would choose Lebanon, but, you know, it's very possible that they'll go with the Sunnis with the I don't know. But uh, it's I don't be pretty think obvious. Iran's ever going to go with the Sunnis, uh, uh, Greg, yeah. because you know they're a Shia nation and right. they're right. looking to develop the Shia crescent. Yeah, that's that's their. It's going to be, I think, very much obvious, or it, maybe it already is obvious to the CIA or you know the people who have better intelligence than the public. But bringing them into direct conflict would be that that would be something new right we have now mike you've had how many areas over there basically that's syria jordan i guess still has a government you got you have syria you got lebanon yeah, jordan is a monarchy you've got the king and, and you've got uh iraq you got pretty much a big chunk of the whole area without really much of a government do you that's true and you know unfortunately it's been dominated by uh strong men forever i mean saudi arabia i mean if the people really rebelled in saudi arabia that could be an issue too but i don't see that happening that the the sunnis the ruling powers in saudi arabia have a pretty good handle on things well plus they got way too they way too much money they can buy everybody off right well that's what they do yeah you buy them off or put you in jail one or the other right um I mean, I guess I don't see the the thought that if we're going to have to spend more money in the, in the Pacific to somehow defuse the situation was probably not a bad idea. I, I don't know. It almost seemed like we need Saddam Hussein back. Well, 
Saddam Hussein was a, uh, you know, he was a balance of power guy for uh, Iraq and Iran, that's for sure. So you see the, you see the, the I'm, I'm almost like getting on your side here. I don't, I don't see, I know Milton Friedman would have thought the Chinese government would never have lasted this long, but they sure have. And uh, Russians the same way. I mean, if there was a reason to kick this guy Putin out, they've had it, yet they don't do it. I mean, it's, I don't think anybody has any power or, or there's no... Wait, wait, wait a second. What'd you say? Who's kicking out Putin? I said nobody is. The problem is all three of those nations, you know, have very strong security services. They have people that keep them in power. China, Russia, Iran are all autocracies, essentially. Well, the only time they change power is when the security service turns on them, basically, right? Yes, or when somebody dies and then, you know, some other uh, person takes over that's part of the security apparatus. Well, Mike, what was the history on when the Russians had Afghanistan and they did the same stupid stuff we did? What, what happened if you and I in college would have jumped, or it was probably after we were in college, we would have jumped up in some bar and said, in 30 years we're going to be in Afghanistan with having the same problems in Russia had. We'd have been put out... We'd have been taken out in a straitjacket, yet there we ended up, right? Right. Well, that was, you know, we originally went into Afghanistan to, you know, pay back uh, the Taliban. And unfortunately, we went into the nation-building business. So, Well, it's still that whole that whole mechanism. Someday there's, there's got to be a book out written somebody where we had... 16 Saudis and what four Egyptians attack us and we took out two countries except have Egypt, you seen have Egypt you, and Saudi Arabia maybe I'm just in the weird corners of online but have you seen the theories where leaving the stuff the weapons and military assets in Afghanistan was on purpose to destabilize the region have, have you seen I, any of those <laughs> well, I mean, what are you they're doing? saying it's part of the long game yeah, but how are you going to take it out what are you, how much are we leave in Vietnam uh, I, I think the the goal supposedly is to start a big conflict over over in the region so that they destabilize each other and we're on the periphery kind of sending money and sending more weapons so we're making more money and they're blowing each other up wow and, that's quite a conspiracy yeah <laughs> i don't know maybe i just spent too much time online but th- there's no uh, greg it makes perfect sense to me <laughs> <laughs> oh, if ever you got a huge was, conspiracy theory john's always with you it was on <laughs> it was on purpose and this is the long game and the you know the the well, military if, industrial if you, complex I mean, is is jumping around celebrating because well, following history, you know, Afghanistan is where empires go to die. You know, the Brits, the Russians, and now us. You know, so we'll see how that works out eventually. Well, what do you make of, uh, Jan and I talked on, on Thursday uh, after Lou last week a lot about the article that came out regarding the uh, concentration stuff in the uh, in the industry and how many of the uh, the companies that make bullets and all the other stuff have been essentially combining over the last 20, 30 years, and it kind of ran right into what you were talking about with the just-in-time inventory stuff, Mike, and how, I mean, uh, and then the guy from, uh, John and I talked about it on Thursday, remember, John, the, the guy from, uh, was it, wasn't Lockheed, it was uh, Raytheon, so they got, what, a $75 billion backup, so, I mean, it's, um, how, how concentrated, how, how, much, how plugged up is some of this stuff, Mike, I mean, can you, it doesn't look like they can just go out for bid. There's only a couple of bidders. I mean, it's like uh, 
is this more messed up since you retired? Not to, you know, not because you were, but I'm saying from your years, how much has this changed from the beginning in terms of uh, bid? And I don't see how you can have just the time inventory in, in, in the Army, to be honest with you. But No, so- and I agree with you, Tom, but it has, well, I, I think it definitely has gotten worse since I retired, but it was already getting bad because when I was still working, you know, as I told you, you know, guys in Iraq were, you know, putting sandbags at the bottom of their armored vehicles in order to prevent IEDs from harming them. And in a, and in a way it worked because at least it dulled the explosion. And then they started uh, changing the way that they built armored vehicles and, and they made a suspended seat rather than a... Um, rather than a fixed seat, and that helped reduce injuries also. And our the organization I used to work at had a lot to do with, you know, the the, the development of suspended seats. Whoa, whoa what's, what's a suspended seat? It, it, in, it, rather than the seat being fixed on the bottom of the vehicle, they then essentially hung the seats where the tank driver would sit or where the armored vehicle would sit and they then they would become less exposed to explosions from underneath the vehicle. So if the if the bottom of the vehicle shot up, they wouldn't necessarily. That's correct. Still, you're not so good for the legs and feet, I don't think. But no, but it, even so, it it did help the the uh, driver survivability rate. It definitely helped the driver survivability rate. Really, I would never I thought mean, of that. Maybe I should need one of those for my suburban, John. What do you think? <laughs> Just saying. Uh, well, eventually, maybe they'll start using IEDs in Chicago, Tom. Who knows? They're <laughs> they're well on their way, aren't they? Jeez. Oh no! Yeah, it's a uh, don't oh, give no. anybody any ideas. Uh, oh no! They had last week. They had uh, somebody went out and stole a car. Well, they actually, they did this in, in my neighborhood. Though. Five in five days of the people driving into the stores. Yeah, well, you know where they had one of those. It happened twice. Wicker Park. What? No, what's the spot right by me? They had the uh, the high-end uh, outdoor clothing store, and two cars blasted in, and what's what's the uh, the thing with REI? The, yeah, what's, REI I don't know, I don't know, but who were the guys with the goose on it, where the jackets are 800 bucks or whatever? North Face. North Face? They they just blasted into the place and stole the whole rack of North Face. So the store finally, after two or three uh, break-ins, stopped carrying North Face. There's a response to the situation. Well, that's flash mobs are killing the retail business. That's for sure. Well, this uh, what was the one the other day, Jan, where two or three guys blasted into a place, and they you know they used that as a way to break into the front door, and the third guy somehow missed the window and just cracked up the car <laughs> and never even got in. Where do we find these people? I, anyway, uh, Jan, we you comment on what we were talking about on the uh, you know the idea of us trying to stabilize the region and having this big plan. How many people have been trying that since the Romans got out of there, right? And, and you know, just recently, Tom, in fact, last week, uh, Jake Sullivan, you know, National Security Advisor, um, has a piece in Foreign Affairs magazine um, in which he's, you know, sort of applauding, you know, the Biden administration's ability to keep the things quiet in the Mideast and Hamas's you know, been appeased for the time being. So they just throwing bouquets at themselves for having done such a good job. Um, of course, the timing couldn't be worse because, you know, it's, this thing has gone to press, you know, and everything there has just gone 
the hell in a handbasket. It shows t- to me, though, that the biggest you know, intelligence failure about you know Hamas's attack in Israel was on the part of the U.S. Um, I think Israel you know, had warnings from Egypt. They knew something was brewing, and they chose not to you know, preempt it. I think they wanted it, you know, to have such a, an invasion because it gave them a reason to you know, get back into the swing of things and look to us for more assistance and take our minds off of what's going on in Ukraine. But the real intelligence failure was that we didn't see this coming. That's that's more frightening to me. Well, John, you know, in a way, and I I don't know about uh, Hamas and Israel. All I know is that I used to work Afghanistan with some of my guys, and we warned uh, the decision makers forever on, uh, you know, that the. Afghanistan government wasn't strong enough. The army was essentially a paper army. And I really kind of beg to differ with, you know, what's what what people end up terming intelligence failures. A lot of it is an operations failure. We give people advice and they refuse to or they ignore it. So, you know, every military leader in Afghanistan had to succeed. So therefore they they don't or they disregard the intelligence assessments that we make, and then they're a success. And that is, in fact, not true. So who knows what happened with Israel? I, I'm not part of the decision-making you know, element anymore. But I, I really, dis- or I really uh, take offense with everything always being an intelligence failure. And that's, that's not because, well, I... I'm well, sorry. well, the difference between when a, when a layman says somehow we should have known about it, what you're saying is some people did know about it. It just didn't make it up the chain, or they chose to ignore it. They're, no, they chose yeah, to ignore yeah. it. That's correct. Uh, but that's somewhat. Well, wasn't know, Biden always opposed even um, to Afghanistan? I think he always wanted to pull pull everybody out of there. Well, I think a lot of people did. And and when I think. Uh, Obama sent more troops because the Secretary of Defense asked him to or something, but by, I think Biden's position was always we shouldn't do this. Well, it becomes... Did so you guys, finally, if he gets the opportunity, he pulls him out. That's not, not as much of a surprise to... Well, there's a... we got to go to break here, but just a story that from uh, John and, my, and, and, and Mike's uh, lifetime. Uh, Kathy, and I can't, I cannot find it now. I must have been scrubbed from the net, or else I can't find it. I'm just an idiot on the net. But Wayback Machine. Yeah, what was it? It had to do with a, a, a tape in the White House where Lyndon Johnson is talking to one of his Southern buddies, and uh, you know they, they got the draw going, and the, Lyndon Johnson saying to the guy, "Can't win this war. Just can't win this war." And the guy says, "Nobody likes a loser, Lyndon. Nobody likes a loser. If you want, you plan on winning next election. You bet. Nobody likes a loser. Next, the next day." He sent like thousands of troops to Vietnam, even though he knew he couldn't win. And uh, this kind of stuff has happened all the time, right, Mike and John? I mean, it's, uh, you know, a lot of those guys came from our friend Roberts. He was a he was an Army brat kind of guy, and uh, he grew up at, I don't know, one of those camps down south, one of the big Army camps. What are the different camps? There's Camp Lejeune. And oh, that's Marines, right, Mike? That's Marines, right. But the Army camps are what? Uh Anyway, he, a lot of the Fort people. Benning. Fort Benning. Well, I don't know whether it's called Fort Benning anymore. Fort Bragg is now Fort Liberty. 
you know, there's all kinds of different, all the names have changed. I got to update myself on that. But. but he said a lot of those people that went over that time and a lot of them who didn't come back were all, a lot of his buddies. So he's not a Lyndon Johnson fan at all. But, uh, I mean, this kind of stuff, you know, it happens. I mean, I, I don't know that, how how would you even define victories in uh, Afghanistan? Well, at least they didn't, at least they didn't go down to counting body parts like they did in Vietnam, right? Well, that's why, you know, I like uh, Powell because he always wanted to know, okay, what do we want to end up with? What's what's our outcome? And we never know our outcome when we go into some of these conflicts. So, I mean, well, at least Powell tried to define an outcome before he went in somewhere. Now, I don't know that that worked in Iraq, but... Well, the, the uh, accusation from the British Review in Iraq was that the American people at the top, meaning the Rumsfeld-Cheney group, were more concerned on who was going to have the oil afterwards and who was going to govern the place. Remember the, the loser? No, that... I, I agree with you. They they thought we were going to get oil and, I, what was it, oil and flowers out of Iraq or something? Well, who was, who was the guy that was going to be the next president that we, we helicoptered in and he they, they chased him out? What was his name? He was, a, he was Rumsfeld's Bremer, consultant. Bremer, Paul Bremer. Yeah, the guy, and where did he end up? They, they chased him out of. He was going to be the new president. We're going to we're going to helicopter him like they did the uh, Ayatollah. Only they, they didn't like this guy. Anyway, no, SP futures right. up twenty seven. Nasdaq futures up one eleven. We're up, but not quite as much as we were. But we're up. Uh, we'll be right back. Stocks and Jacks. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They're located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 
708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. When you're, when you're telling these little stories, here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Hello, and welcome back to Jackson. I'm Tim Howe. we got a full house today. I'm at Bernadette Board. We've got Greg Pappas in the studio with Jan Flanagan and Mike Murphy uh, calling in. Hey, uh, I, I, have to, I have to mention it because we are Stocks and Jacks. What the hell? How bad are these bears? <laughs> Terrible. Did you see that? It took, all, it took the NFL all of, uh, what, six days to figure out Taylor Bajan? <laughs> it, what do you mean? The guy, the guy uh, for his second game... For the, no, no, no! Don't, don't right, try well, to. <laughs> what do you mean? He, throw, he throws the forty-yard pass. Tyson, Tyson, excuse me. Well, then they, 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 he throws the forty-yard pass. Yeah, and he dropped play. it in the end zone. I know. No, no, no the one about. before, oh. or the holding penalty. Did you see the holding penalty? Or no, it wasn't holding. It was a hands to the face. And I'm thinking, well, there's a cheap shot. It's the center. He grabs the guy by the face mask. He rides him out like eight yards. He still got his hand on the face mask. It wasn't like inadvertent. Oh man, my hands there. I'll pull it away. Was there? He, he kept it. It could have. It had to be five, six seconds. He, he wrote, it was his, his entire block was having the guy about his face met. Then he got another holding penalty three plays later. Well, how does a center get two? two, two desperate times call for desperate measures. And, and then the guy, the guy falls in there the end you zone. Go, John. Yeah. <laughs> then the guy in the end zone falls down. And the, the guy's wide open. The pass is right to him. He, he still should have caught it, even though he was. It. Yeah. It's it still was kind of right, right there. It hit him right in the chest. Unfortunately, you know. It was a little wobbly, but he should have caught that. So you say Bajan should have had another touchdown. So, you know, two 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 touchdowns, three interceptions and what, a forty QBR? He's awful. Well, you know, you guys are like to toss him the dude out for his, He's for his first terrible. his first two okay, I mean <laughs> Oh, he deserves a chance. Come on. Oh, he's got the chance. <laughs> so you're saying it's a, last it's a night, good story. Every single time I think Fields is not great, but every single time the other team got the ball, he marched down the field. They didn't punt. Oh, did they punt once? Uh, the first half they didn't. I don't think they no, did. He, they didn't in the first half. You're right. And he completed about 20 of uh, – he, he had a lot of completions in the first half too. Um, that team, quarterback is not the problem. Either, well, either one of these guys is not perfect, but they got to get somebody. they got to get a line. they got to get something. But uh, They have to get a line, and I think they need better running backs too. I don't know. Well, the defense is terrible. Right. So, anyway, it's a <laughs> – I mean, they're just how do, how do they get on? How do they get on Sunday Night Football? Yeah, well, the, was... the NFL probably scheduled that one way out. So, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it had, but I thought they could change it, but that might be later in the season. Later in the actually. season, yeah, it's another couple of weeks where you can uh, shift them out. Because well, the Chargers were supposed to be good, right? Yes, that's correct. They they were supposed to be good, and uh, they sort of. Who do you who do you like in the World Series tonight? Uh, as soon as I pick it, but I'll take Arizona. But I don't know who's pitching. I have to look and see who's pitching. Well, for some reason, the Rangers are pretty big favorites, and I, I mean, uh, for the whole series, and I don't know, I don't know where that came from, but well, because they're better hitters, I think. Maybe. Well, before before you ditch the NFL, did you see how Cousins was walking? He's, he's, to get Cousins tore his Achilles, supposedly. Yeah, yeah. That, that was there was almost no weight on his leg. It's, I don't know if it's official yet, but that was... What I mentioned last night was I was going across the tape on the, on the Bear game. 
out of uh, feared Achilles uh, injury. It's a, it's a. You yeah, know, he was you know. trying to walk and it just wasn't happening. Well, you can walk; it's just weird. I mean, uh, oh, he couldn't put any weight on it. Well, I mean, some guys. I mean, Doug Buffon limped off the field and it was his. I mean, it, it's a, you know, it's kind of a mad injury. It can happen for doing something he did. One of my uh, best friends, his son, who's actually my godson, the kid is in absolutely tip-top shape. Not an extra pound on him. He tore his Achilles playing basketball. Mike, he said he he didn't even move. He he, he faked in his Achilles tore. Yeah. Well, you know, unfortunately, that's what happens. I think Tom, particularly with the Achilles. Yeah. Well, it's uh. He was hopping around. Yep. <laughs> he was trying to walk, couldn't walk, and then he was hopping around like a. Well, and this is his uh, contract year too. I think. I mean. Yeah, because the Vikings were thinking about dumping him or trading him, not dumping him, but trading him, uh, because they they were deciding whether they were going to go with him or not. <laughs> They're going to trade for Tyson Bajan. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> the uh, any, so uh, Jan, all the stuff we've been uh, kind of talking about here. What I mean, we've been trying to figure out how does it affect the market? How do you trade it? Obviously, on Friday you would have liked to have been along gold for whatever happened. On Friday afternoon at one thirty, because gold ran up fifteen bucks, and it's still, still got over two thousand, but not very much. Two thousand and three, it hasn't really affected the dollar very much. The dollar's been incredibly steady. It had a big spike in Bitcoin a couple of weeks ago, and now that's been steady. So it's it. There's like iterations that pop around here, and yet they don't sort of last. And you've got we're still up, right? Gold is still above two thousand. Yeah, it's real. You've got uh, allegedly Bitcoin's definitely up. Uh, well, but not the last few days. It's been steady uh, as the as the war has accelerated. I'm just saying it's moving kind of in the direction we would maybe predict, but sort of all of a sudden and then not very much. It's 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 uh, start and stop, isn't it? It's it's it's, it's very difficult to trade. It's been very very obvious to me that you know somewhere along the line here gold would be going up, but it hasn't until all of a sudden Friday. And who knows? It might go right back down again. Can we buy Bitcoin puts? Is that a thing? Does PTI uh, do that? Well, they're trying to. Somebody's trying to put. The reason why I ran up is because somebody's supposed to get an ETF. You well, be, uh, how do how do I buy puts? Is my question. Well, I want as, to soon as, as soon as the ETF comes out, you buy puts in the ETF. Ah, nice. That's what uh, I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea what the schedule of that is. Much maybe you can find out when that thing's supposed to list. This got approval of some kind. But John, what do you make of of all well, this? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised, Tom, at how oil hasn't shot up. At least yeah. not yet. Anyway. Higher than it has. Well, and uh, that would have been the first thing I would have expected um, for a flare up in that part of the world to see it reflected in, in the markets. Um, I really think deep down, though, that you know, war is good for business. Like I said last week, Tom, and I, I think this is this may stave off, at least temporarily, any kind of market correction um, when you've got money that has to be pumped into the system now if we're going to keep up our you know, supposed connections in Ukraine and now the Mideast, um, and God knows what else is on the horizon, too. I just, I think that, you know, the, the Fed is going to have to, you know, keep this machinery going and maybe even go into overdrive, and that that puts us in a more unreal atmosphere, of course, but it, it staves off, you know, what I think a lot of people are expecting to happen at some point, that we're going to have some kind of a crash. Um, and it's going to take a lot of stuff with it, but but the timing seems to be pushed back now because of this. So maybe maybe there is a reason for all of this. Do you do you think that? Uh, from me, from me, I've had um, a couple of people on, and I've, I've talked to some people, uh, my clients and so forth, that are are pretty bright. 
that's why they're my clients, right? Or, or that's why they pick me, right, Greg? Is that the, is that the way I have ding, to say? Ding it? ding 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 ding. Um, you you do uh, you you wonder on the oil piece, and uh, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on with that. Uh, Shanny, you spent a show with me. I get him on again. The the crack spread between the gasoline and uh, oil is like the lowest it's ever been, and yet the diesel is like the highest it's ever been. So there's this massive demand for diesel and not for gas. Um, you look at the RBOB is what two ninety, is it two ninety? And there's 90, 90 cents tax on gas, and yet you can buy gas for three forty seven. And I'm not saying I, I don't like doing that. I do, but it's like, how the hell does that happen? I mean, it, it just seems like there's really weird, like you're mentioning, John. There's just weird things that you think are supposed to happen and sort of aren't. I've got oil at uh, ninety three dollars and uh, twenty sixth of September, and here we are a month later. It's eighty four. That was before the war, right? And you, you, you really do wonder. I mean, what what are we doing here? And uh, I don't say I'm not saying I want it higher, but if you were to say, okay, if there if a war breaks out in the Middle East, what happens? You'd probably list five things economically, and not one of them have happened. Now, when you look at the oil prices before, call it COVID in twenty twenty. Weren't we around sixty bucks, uh, and now back. we're now go, we're at eighty or eighty five? That, that fits with the uh, the uh, inflation narrative. Well, COVID was uh, February of uh, end of February, February, yeah. February twenty. So February March first, uh, March eighth, twenty twenty. Oil was uh, thirty two bucks, but that was uh, wait a second. Yeah, that's when it was all oversupplied. Yeah. So it went down. Yeah. Yeah, I it, thought it would have been like got down at, but 2018, 2019, 2020. I'm looking right there at the right at the, I'm looking oh. right, at the, right at the chart, man. Right. 3, 315.20 was, uh, get a load of this. <laughs> it opened, this is with COVID, right? Everybody, well, this is after people were being uh, sequestered. It opened that day. Boy, oh boy, so you got me on a good one there. You guys will never guess this. Get, opening on the 315.2020. I remember we closed everything. On the 16th, because St. Patrick's Day, the bars were not open. I was very upset. So, remember, we closed on St. Patrick's Day of 2020. That's how you can always remember. It opened on the 15th, 33.75. And I've got four mavens here with me. Where do you suppose it closed that day? Well, isn't it limited to 5%? 22.43. Ouch. Oh. Ouch. Oh. Was that the day that the... Okay, well, discounting when the world shut down travel, yeah. before that, wasn't oil before, like 60 bucks a, or 50 or 60 no, bucks? No, if you, if you go, go back to uh, uh, 12, 22, and 19, it was 60 bucks. You're exactly right. Yeah, so 60 bucks. He's bumping at 60 bucks forever. So, and then the world shut down, no tr- no travel, yeah. you know, lot, lots of... So then it went down to 20 or whatever. Yeah. But before that, it was about 60, and now we're... Now we're right at 84. 84. And well, what was the inflation? Well, the progressives since? want the price of oil to go up because then that means people will be more likely to convert to green energy. But, you know, who knows? Well, that's. I was just trying to bring up, you know, maybe that inflation number is, is kind of real. Well, that's what Mike, Mike, what Mike just mentioned is one of the, is, um, you know, sort of my themes. As you guys, you, you know, I was debating with Kevin last week about, you know, the strategic oil reserve and, People constantly, I mean, for years and years, people have constantly tried to hook oil prices up to administrative 
administrations and attitude, and yet it just doesn't it doesn't fly. I mean, it, well, Tom Thomas Friedman, not Milton Friedman, but Thomas Friedman. He I big think drop still off writes, there. Big drop off he, from Milton Friedman to Thomas Friedman. <laughs> yeah, but he he has advocated for a hundred dollar uh, barrel. Uh, price of oil for barrel, you know, barrel price. Does he, what, what does that's he, so that people would convert to green energy. Does, does he own oil stacks? Or does he? Is he? I, is he an I have no idea, here? Tom. Well, he's the author. He wrote "The World Is Flat." It was like a right. Big it's, business. That's book. exactly right. Greg. Yeah, big drop off from Milton Friedman. Well, I don't think there's any doubt that that if you're going to do anything economically, I mean, nothing would, would chase people. I don't think you're going to chase people to electric cars because if you there's just as much almost you know we could go into this debate forever but electric cars are not all that efficient if you take them from no and i agree with you that's why this rush to electric is you know that baffles me too but you know maybe it's because they do own uh stock in these some of these companies but everybody you know why don't you why don't they just let people sort of do it themselves i mean if we all lived in a in a in a farm conclave or a, a little town or if we ever got like an eight flat at the Isle of Man because we we left the U.S. or something, there's no doubt that if if we had a windmill or a solar panel on the top, and it juiced our little golf cart every day, the four of us would probably hop in the golf cart and head down to the bar. Why wouldn't we if it's free? You know, there's going to be at the edges. Should we be doing some renewal renewable energy when we can? Should should it make sense? Should you have electric locomotives out in the desert with between the wind and the sun? You got nothing but power. Yeah, but why why force things on on people kind of before their time? And you let it take its own course. Yes, if everybody if get if oil tomorrow was two hundred dollars a barrel, I guess people would rush to something electric. But then all of a sudden, if you're if you're burning oil or you're burning natural gas for the electric, you're not getting any place really, are you? No, I I agree with you, Tom. Have you guys? What bugs me is remember in the seventies, especially after the. You know the oil crunch in '73 and '74. Um, the, the you know all the buzz was let's build smaller cars, let's get people out of these luxury you know two-ton <laughs> vehicles they're driving around in. And you have you know those real you know uh, this changed people's buying habits right off the bat, and people did buy into it, and they liked having smaller cars that were easier to park. Cheaper to operate, better mileage. I don't. I don't. By the way, I don't really like that. Oh, no, I'm not. But but. But the market allowed people to make that decision, right. and they they made it in big numbers. And now you can't buy a, a sedan anymore. No, and all you can buy is a, is a Humvee lookalike. And so <laughs> there hasn't been any drive to say maybe we shouldn't be building cars this size or this weight and power them with gasoline. Isn't there a cheaper way to make vehicles more energy efficient by keeping with gasoline power? Well, the most uh, I don't hear that talked about at all. Well, the most you know, efficient when Larry car. Summers figured with the auto industry, he put Saturn out of business, and they yeah. were still clinging to that. You know, you know, high efficiency, you know, cheaper cars, you know, relatively clean engines. Um, boom! They just were put out of business completely, and and now you have no options really by any of the car manufacturers to buy a small, economical, cheap automobile. No wonder people can't afford them. Well, Nobody's gonna, pricing them in any kind of intelligent way or, or making them to those tastes. I'm going to so, say the. What is the most efficient car that was ever made? In, I'm going to say I think the most efficient car that was ever made in our lifetime. And of course, you couldn't put it back on the street today, but. 
We, I had a couple guys that Volkswagen Rabbit Diesel got 50 miles at a gallon. If you remember those things. I do. And, uh, but I read something that if you were to make the thing uh, today with all the crash tests and all the other stuff, you'd have to add 1,500 pounds to it or some huge number, 1,250, 1,300 pounds. Didn't have any airbags, didn't have, if you got hit, you were, you might have been in a, you might as well have been in a tin can. So there's been other, so even that thing wouldn't be, plus we don't like the diesel exhaust for some reason. I mean, it's a, we have a problem with it. We, we put diesels totally out of business here, right? Yeah. Diesel's I know the insurance companies have dictated, like your know, rear view cameras and all this stuff, you know, load up the car with as much technology as possible so that, you know, somebody else is going to save money if it has to be repaired or prevents a fender bender from happening or something else. But the over-regulation of the industry now has just reduced the number of choices people have to select from, and it's made only the most expensive, the most wasteful vehicles the norm. This is completely nuts to me. Well, how many, if you, just simple questions you ask, uh, that, you know, I learned from the show, people send me stuff. That's what makes it makes you, you feel like what a dummy you were the rest of your life. Uh, I think... I think it was Greg. You can check this out, but I'm going to say the uh, what's what, people with this new labor contract are aghast. I must have read five articles this weekend of I'll use the term dummies talking about how the price of cars is going straight up with these new contracts. What they missed the point is the price is already up. <laughs> and, and, and they were, the prices are already up forty percent. Now these guys are going to get a twenty five percent raise. What is I, I think the amount of, the amount of man hours to build a car. Is like in the thirty or forty range, isn't it, Greg? It's 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 now. I don't know if that includes you know the transmission that comes from some other place or whatever. I'm sure there's more to this number to meets the eye, but it's it's not very much. No. And, and uh, I I don't know where the rest of the stuff comes from. Whether it's regulation, whether it's back and forth with government, well, who knows what it's coming from? But it's it's not from labor. I mean, at all. And uh, I mean, the last time they had a strike a few years ago, the the. Uh, the guy from the head of the United Auto Workers Union said if they didn't pay us anything, it wouldn't make any difference to the price of the car. I mean, there's, not, there's just not that much labor in a car anymore. It's not like the old days. But, uh, you know, I don't know if that includes, you know, the seat manufacturers, labor, and all the other stuff. It, it may not, you know. But the, the, amount, the amount of hours to actually assemble a car, like in Belvedere or someplace, which is closed, I guess it's going to reopen now, um, it's not very much. I don't even think it's 30. So I think you're right. I'm looking no, at a graph. Sense. It looks like in 2014, the new car prices started increasing faster than the rate of inflation. Yeah. And not to mention, whenever that goes up, your yeah. tax goes up, quote, right? Quote, inflation. So whereas uh, in 2012, the average price was 30570 um, Now it's 48000 or, or well, more. That's 50%. Almost. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, it's... it's uh, Outpaced inflation since 2012. Yeah, I mean it's a it's not a good situation. But um, while we still have Mike, uh, Mike, how much further can the Israelis go before they lose public opinion? Man, Saturday we voted against a the United Nations. We voted against a ceasefire. I don't I don't ever want to see us voting against a ceasefire. Do you? Well, Tom, you know, and here's where. You know, this is an information war at this point, too, and the UN certainly is not a um, an unbiased organization. So, I 
a ceasefire does no one any good at this point. It, you know, we, we, you know, I, I know you said I am been too strident, but uh, you know, we no, I didn't still say that lost thirty two or thirty three American lives. You know, there's still you no know, now it's up to roughly two hundred forty hostages. So what are the Israelis supposed to do? And you know, a ceasefire doesn't do anybody much good because Hamas is still firing rockets at Israel. And you know, we're still being attacked in uh, Syria and Iraq. So, you know, we we have got to keep uh keep striking our enemies. So, uh, no, I do not support a ceasefire. Well, I'm talking about the that part. You know, I might be with you. I don't know, know near as much about what's going on in Syria and those places. But I'm saying world opinion on the Gaza piece. I'm just trying to observe here. And as, and as somebody who does a show every day, I know very well. It's all, it's not what you say. It's what people hear and, and what the, in this world, it's all about... Uh, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's all about point of view, and it's all about what's out there. The, the image, at some point here, you have to draw back the tanks against people that don't have any tanks and say, okay, we're going to give you a week to give us our hostages back. and do so. You have to make some overture here at some point. But it just, it's just like us. We decided... No, and, and you may be right, and let's not call it a, a ceasefire, but, you know... You know, Kirby keeps mincing with words, you know, the semantics, you know, let's give it a, a humanitarian pause. But Hamas keeps lobbing rockets at Israel, you know, despite everything. Well, so, they're going to do whatever they can because they're under attack. Well, <laughs> right? But, yeah, but... but I'm saying uh, world, opi- world you know, opinion... They started the whole thing. So I, it, I get it, I get it. But at some point, right. I mean, I you know... The, the the first the first person, I, I just want to make sure that less people get killed as possible. I don't trust this Netanyahu as far as I can throw him. I never did long before this started. I don't know what his motives are, uh, but I mean at some point here you you can't have uh, the entire world looking at tanks running against people, and and it looks like Tiananmen Square for God's sake. I mean there there's there has to be somewhat of a difference between just like we did the same thing here. I've always been a you know a guy who didn't like this stuff. We declared war against terror. What does that mean? I, I, I would declare war against... I don't have a problem if we, if, we, if we round up and string up every single, quote, terrorist there is. But it can't, it can't evolve into anybody who doesn't like us as a terrorist. And we get to do whatever we want to them. Well, and, you know, and this is the struggle for the Israelis, yeah. I think. You know, what do we do with every male who is still above ground in Gaza? To me, they are either Hamas or supporters of Hamas. So, you know, I, I don't know. You know, the Israelis are in a very difficult position, Tom, as is Netanyahu and his unity government. Sure. So, you know, I, I'm glad I'm not advising them. Yeah, me too. I just, I, I, but at some, at some point, a lot of this becomes economic. I don't know if, if we were in Gaza for the last however many years and we never had a job, I don't know. I don't know if we wouldn't agree with everything Hamas does. I'm not so sure we wouldn't have voted for him. Now, does that make us a terrorist? I don't think so. You know, well, I, you know, I, you know, if 
you know, if uh, I, you're, you're, I, you're right, the, the the whole area is so complex. The whole thing is so complex. It's it's economic. It's hatred. It's religion. Could you could you make a worse stew? No, you can't make a worse stew. That you're absolutely right about that. I mean, but I'm saying somewhere along the line, you got to give people an out. If they don't take it, well, then it's on them, I guess. Well, how do you give people an out when Egypt won't let people out and Hamas won't let people out? Well, that's you a problem. Know, what yeah. do you do in that instance? I, that's, I didn't say it was an easy one. Yeah. <laughs> What's been going on for? I'm, I'm more worried about the areas other than Gaza, the the Syria and, the, and that whole northern well, part. You know, I I think we have managed maybe to prevent the uh, conflict from escalating even more, but. I really want if Hezbollah does something up north, you know, then it becomes then it's a two front war. And then you still got the West Bank. The Israelis have to deal with the West Bank at one at a certain point. We're going to have to do something. And and we've already started doing it, though, with uh, with the bombing of uh, places in Syria. Well, you just said it earlier. The hardest thing on the military side is to not know your what your uh, they, they can't. I don't think they need to. I'm gonna put it this way: both socially and militarily, they can't overplay their hand down there because it's gonna weaken them other places. Weaken them other places. Would you agree? Right. With that? Well, and what's our end game? You yeah. Know, no, what's the end game? That's. And I don't trust anybody in the current administration on knowing what the end game is. Well, I mean, we didn't know what the end game was in Iraq either. This has been a string of guys doing that. Perfect. Right. Yeah. I don't. Know. I just hope it doesn't mess up the world over there, the oil markets. We don't need any more problems, and neither neither does anybody over there. Somewhere, somewhere, someplace, there needs to be a solution to this, and you're sure as hell not going to get it while you're firing at each other. Right? Maybe this should force a solution. I don't know. You think this could help in the long run? I don't know. Well, it could help, but uh, you know, we've we've got to deal with. Well, we got to deal with our axis of evil, you know, Iran first, then Russia, then China, and probably in that order, and that's the way well, we, I we, would work it. We, we tried to pick the order another way, and it didn't work out, did it? We tried to pick no, China right. first. Mike, thank you. Probably have you on later in the week, bud. Uh, I'm with Arizona, too, but I don't know. The uh, it's, I think it's going to be a pretty good series the rest of the way. SB Futures up 23, Nasdaq Futures up 97. You're right back, Mr. John Flanagan and Audrey. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. 
We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. I can't help thinking somewhere in the universe there has to be something better than man. Happy note, we're back at start. Those futures up 24, days that futures up 100. We've got the... Uh, well, let's see, what do we have? I was looking at this oil chart here. We don't need that anymore. That was uh, pretty bizarre when it went down under 20, uh, 25 hours. A lot of that had to do with, uh, actually, went to, when it went down below zero, it had, a lot of it had to do with IB's screw-up on their computing thing, but that's, that's yet another issue. Um, Dow futures are up 183. Uh, the uh, Again, we've tried to be up on Monday. We weren't last Monday, but the other Mondays we've been up. Remember, we don't have a huge degradation of the world situation a weekend we seem to be selling off on thursday friday coming up on monday so that's that's the pattern here we'll see if that holds over in europe we got the dax up 84.6 percent uh FTSE up 48.7 percent kick around up 44.7 percent so pretty much nice rally across the board there again a review of friday you know kind of a mixed market but the uh it was uh it was it was pretty the dow led the way down a lot of that was uh uh um Jamie Dimon selling a lot of his stock in J.P. Morgan. So they were down like five or six bucks. Uh, Dow was down 367. That's a full 1.1%. S&P was down 19. That's a half a percent. NASDAQ, however, it had been down horribly for two days. It actually bounced up a little bit. They were up 47.4%. Uh, We're in Asia today. Nikkei down 294. That's a full percent. Hang Seng is up seven. So they've managed to stabilize above 17,000 there at 17,408. Remember last week? Early we could duck under 17,000, but it came right back. Shanghai up three, call that flat, but they're now back over 3,000. They were under 3,021, so they've crawled back over kind of a big number there as well. We've got bonds up six basis points now at 4.91. Looks like it's going to make another run at 5%, which is not really good for the market. Uh, blend up one point, uh, one basis point, 2.85. Japan up two basis points at 0.897. Let's call that 0.90. Oil. 
Amazing, only down again. They're down a buck 48, 8406. Brent down 122, 8926. Natural gas down 12 cents, 336. Arbob down a penny, 230. We've got gold up eight bucks, 2006. We'll see if it's going to hold over 2000. It hasn't before. Silver also up 58 cents, 2347. Whenever it gets over 23, it has been a sale, but now it's pretty far over 23, almost 23.50. Copper up four cents, 368. We've got crypto up 161 now, 34,754. We have the U.S. dollar uh, down a little bit. The euro, the euro is up to 105.9. The British pound almost unchanged there, 121 too. Matt, what do you got for us? Traffic Weather Sports. Yeah, good morning. Currently 7.39 a.m. on October 30th, 2023. Uh, weather in Chicago currently 33 degrees with a high of 40 today. Humidity at 62%. Uh, there is a freeze warning in effect for all of Illinois that ends at 9 o'clock this morning. Uh, tomorrow we're expecting some light snow and rain for Halloween. Expect that around midday. Should be good uh, right around evening time uh, no more snow, no more rain at that time. Down in Phoenix, Arizona, clear skies, 54 degrees currently, a high of 81. Uh, sunny skies expected there and throughout the week. In the MLB World Series this weekend, Diamondbacks beat Rangers 9-1. Series tied currently 1-1. Both teams back tonight at 7 o'clock. In the NFL yesterday, Bears lost against the Chargers 30-13. Bears scored two touchdowns from running back Darrington Evans and quarterback Tyson Bagent. This game marks the Bears' sixth loss this season. So for now, Chief, back to you. So far. Yeah. <laughs> it's not getting any better. <laughs> was, was that an editorial comment, Chad? So, do we have Audrey? We do indeed, yeah. Hey, Audrey, how are yes, you? Yes, you do. Good morning. Just fine. Morning. Well, I'm tired, morning, of, tired of talking war and stuff. Why don't you and Jan get us started on uh, what's going on uh, real estate-wise? I mean, everybody is predicting if we keep sinking, although retail sales were up last month pretty dramatically, and the GDP was supposedly up too. As everybody knows, I'm a little skeptical with the the numbers, the inflation numbers, and how you're counting this stuff, but by and large, it doesn't look like things are totally falling apart at all. Uh, Real estate prices, why don't you take a shot at the retail, and then Jan will talk about the commercial. Maybe there's there's two different stories there, but uh, what's going on in your end, Ed? Well, it's... uh it's uh, still fairly busy by me, but as we've talked about on the show quite a bit, the demarcation between what sellers are getting for a move-in ready house and a house that needs some work is becoming more and more dramatic, uh, at least from what I've seen. So that a house that uh, people are just, it's got the high-end cabinets and new cabinets and wood flooring or the new vinyl plate flooring people love that uh anything that looks new and hgtv ready is moving and flying off the shelves and the house needs work people are, are expecting a discount and it's uh, sitting a few more days on the market well it's a uh, but the, the buyers are, you, are people still if they can hang in hang in i mean not a whole lot of people trading three and a half percent mortgages for eight. So I got that's what I'm trying to say. No, no, and and you know who who would? But there is a big segment of the well. There's always a segment of the market that is not the happy segment where you know possibly somebody passes away. There's a divorce. There's a relocation. There's always cases where people have to move and you're seeing that. And as far as your buyers, there's always buyers where people. You have to live somewhere. So if you have the down payment, you're still, believe it or not, it is still at this point 
more reasonable to buy than it is to rent. I mean, to purchase, to rent a townhouse or condo is, is still going to cost you way more than it is to buy it. Uh, it's just the way, the rent, rent, rentals are in short supply everywhere that I know of. They're very difficult to come by. And housing is still short in my neighborhood, though I noticed in different areas I've been shopping in for clients that the market time's going up and I'm seeing more price reductions. I don't see a, a big debacle here, but I think that the winter time is going to be, a, uh, I think this will be a little slow, though we did have statistics come out a week ago uh, that it was a price bump up and uh, listings uh, are coming out. So there seems to be more coming out on the market for whatever reason than there have been for months. So buyers do have a little more to pick from. So I'm still seeing um, a pretty good flurry of fall activity going on. Well, when these national numbers come out, and this is a question as well, it seems to me like this is really sort of local. I mean, you, I mean, you come out and you report about southwest Chicago, Chicago, and the burbs, and it's a pretty big area, but the national numbers don't really... I mean, it's in some of these areas in San Francisco and places, the prices have plummeted because they got so darn high to start with, right? Well, you know what they say, all real estate is local. Yeah, well, politics uh, is local it, too, they say, right? It, it depends. It depends on, you know, maybe out in California, well, so many tech jobs were shed, you know, on something like that. That's an indication of if all of a sudden all these people are getting laid off in any industry, you're going to see a reflection in that real estate market. What has happened? Uh, is there. There's been a bunch of companies, John, right up in the northern suburbs that have laid people up. Was it Abbott and Allstate? Did that affect housing prices up there? I mean, it's not an area I, I you know, usually think about, but I mean, there's a lot well, of people. I think it, it will eventually, um, and you know, in, in the real estate industry too, as you know, loan processors, title people, whatever, uh, start to get shaved off of payrolls. Um, you'll, you, you know, it's, it's hard to pinpoint those to just one. You know, demographic or one suburb or one region, even, but um, it will take a toll. I think, um, you know, on in every level, in every municipality, I think you'll see people who you know are losing their income stream and you know, you know losing a job and maybe a career path, short term or long term. And I don't know if it's going to happen in big enough numbers to make a huge difference nationally or even locally, but I think it's happening all the time. What uh, we had uh, a little shindig over my brother's place on Saturday. Where we, we all the apples we picked last week, Jan. We, uh, we, we well, the other guys uh, squeezed the hell out of the darn thing. So we got like twenty gallons of cider we're gonna make. But big group guys from the softball team and so forth. And the discussion kind of got around to uh, downtown, of course, with Audrey and Kathy and, and Greg. Greg was there. Uh, got down to downtown real estate and. Uh, evidently, I mean, Greg's pretty in tight, not in tight, but he knows the people that bought that bought the Board of Trade building from the Board of Trade, and now they're that's it's the second owner, right? It's not the first owner anymore. You know what? I wasn't paying attention to that, but I think you're right. And uh, and Greg was saying that even though the building is you know 40 percent occupied or whatever, and he has uh, interest in a restaurant at that place, it's not doing anywhere like they used to do, uh, but. He says these guys have the absolute long-term view, which means they probably got it at a price where they can afford to hang on to it, but they got the long-term view that at the end of the day, however, if it takes a decade, uh, that the places, the transportation is so hard to do between the, you know, the expressway is messed up and the car price is going up that 
the spots that have the infrastructure where people can get to work on trains and those kinds of things will eventually come back, meaning the downtown area will eventually come back because you can get here cheap enough. Uh, Normally, I would say I'm kind of with that view, John. I I just don't have as much confidence as I did last time. I don't know why. I just, uh, I don't know that if, right now people are scattering any place that anybody can get by public transportation because they don't like the people that are getting off it. Uh, I mean, it's, that should be the economic correct thing to do, right? I mean, if you can walk downstairs in the subway in New York and pop up for two bucks, you know, ten minutes later where you work and walk into the place, I mean, that's pretty darn nice, right? I mean, it's uh, your your cost of going to work is pretty low. I, I don't know if that if that's the long term view here in Chicago. I, I hope it is. What do you think? I think you know it's 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 clear. I think now, and this is you know the trend is going to continue. I just read the other day that the Spring Hill Mall out in West Dundee um, has been bought by the Village of West Dundee. You know, it's been pretty much empty for a while. It's, I think it's. It probably has had at least the, the threat of a deed in lieu of foreclosure, and I'd have to go back and dig some part, you know, a little more deeply to find out where, you know, things stood with it recently. But I know it was, you know, in in trouble with its lender, and the the village of West Dundee bought the whole mall, I think, for seven million dollars, um, with the idea of you know finding some kind of partnership to get you know new, you know, a whole new conception of the thing, turn it into an enter- entertainment. Thing, or maybe theater or live music venue, something um, to get it back on the tax rolls and you know make jobs for people. Um, I think with the collapse of retail shopping you know, in you know brick and mortar stores, um, th- th- this is about the only thing you can do and hope. I mean, the, the villages, or, you know, the municipalities that own these you know the surrounding areas have every interest in getting these things restored to some kind of cash flow. For their own economic well-being because they're taking a huge hit you know with the lack of businesses but it, it, it's a symptom in, in a city like chicago where i don't think you're ever going to get retail shopping back at all so unless you have some other conception of, of how this is going to magnetize people to get them to come downtown whether by car or public transportation without it being a retail center i don't don't know if anybody is really thought about what that would look like or like the, the prospects of what would happen if you had to pursue other ways of making a comeback. Uh, I don't see housing or, or low-income housing as the solution either. I, I think there's there's very few options um, that city centers have to rebuild because they're not going to get, I don't think, shoppers or workers back in anything like what, what they were used to. Well, the, it's, you know, I, I make this alliteration all the time and it's kind of a dumb one, but it's sort of like the human body. If a million people were down here working, you'd have people shopping. If you had a lot of people down here shopping, you'd have people working. The question is, how do you encourage one versus the other? I mean, uh, I mean, Marshall Fields, God, when I worked down here for the few months I worked for Allied Van Lines when I was down, not Allied Van Lines, for Pullman when I was downtown, um, well, I'd know. If you wanted to see every good-looking young lady in the city, all you had to do was walk through Marshall Fields downstairs at lunchtime. Right on. Every, every, you had a quick lunch and you went shopping as best you could. It was it was like the lunchtime and stuff was a social mecca. It's like it's like New York at lunchtime. I mean, it's oh, there was nothing more fun than spending the evening after work or your lunch hour 
you hustled over and there was nothing up and down State Street but wonderful stores with you know a, a chicks to like for fashion and you know Carson Peary's your Marshall Fields uh, Charles Stevens I mean I can remember we, my friends we would just spend go after work and you're in the stores and you're looking at beautiful things and in a beautiful in beautiful stores yeah uh, with fabulous service and unfortunately that has long long gone away and it's a shame because it was such a uh, quality experience that most that the average cons- person could experience uh, what was Marshall Field's slogan give the lady what she wants yep. and things like that have just disappeared but I think uh, I don't think the the world has changed so profoundly and we're all in the middle of it and uh, I think of us older people sometimes we don't we're not paying attention but the, the COVID accelerated the trend but People aren't going to want to work in clusters. And first of all, let's nobody's going downtown on a train or car if they're afraid of Chicago. Right. Uh, nobody's going to walk the streets and go shop to shop if you're afraid. And you know, I know a lot of professionals who are on Michigan Avenue who are seriously not renewing their leases and they're going elsewhere because they don't feel even comfortable walking from a parking lot into their office. The world is changing because of technology and AI, and all that is going to revolutionize the people that, unfortunately, you're not going to need. You're not going to need a lot of uh, small workers. Well, but you never, you never, you never needed it. Any, I mean, if you really needed it, but no, I mean, nobody needs a bar. You go home and open up the fridge and pull out a beer. But in fact, you know, I'm saying uh, we do. We, I mean, we. <laughs> well, but the thing is, people. What's interesting, and it's not in a good way, is that how we all uh, grew up hanging out. You know, all you want to do is be able to go out when you were uh, of age or sneak into a bar when you were younger. Who did that? And, uh, you know, hang out with your friends or you went to the mall or you went to the park or you just loaded up and met somewhere. The, the whole social aspect of society as we see it has changed so dramatically. That's why, unfortunately, the new generation, I think they're miss- they've missed out on so much fun. And they're also missing out on a human connection and life itself. But the world is just very different. They're not going to go back to clustering downtown, I don't believe. And it's um, cities are going to have to adapt, I believe, to, to different types. Of, it's going to be a di- very, very different world. And the other thing is if we don't, the other thing I can see helping is if we do things like bring making prescription prescription drugs back on the soil in America so that we know we could actually have things where you're going to put workers together. But again, so much is mecha- will be mechanized and done in the future that the population is going to be a problem before anything else because there's not going to be enough of people to do to keep them out of trouble. Uh, to your point, like if you watch these views in the Middle East, who's running the streets? Young, young men alone. Yeah. who have nothing to do and no interest right. and focus. So you have overwhelming bursts of population with no education, no direction, and bam, you've got violence and mayhem. Well, it's uh, all the stuff you see in this country now, people, the murders. And the, I was reading uh, the amount of uh, problems they have with uh, young people and, and other people. I mean, the COVID, the isolationism, the depression, 
if you're with people all day long and you're doing stuff, you're never depressed, are you? I never was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people used to drive me nuts. Yeah. But I mean, if you, you know, st- I hate public transportation, <laughs> but that's me. Okay. But I mean, I'm saying is the idea of having people around the trading floor. I mean, you're you're how many thousand people are in one room? It, you you never you never were alone. You always had something to do. You know, they're talking about all these people that are alone. Look at the look at the people that are out shooting people. They're home staring at the computer for like months. They don't come out of their room even if they live with their parents or whatever. That's not healthy, Jan. I mean, we we did this to everybody on COVID. I mean, obviously, if you can shut somebody up for a month and they're not going to die, it's a good do. But on a long pull. The reason why these, you know, I see a lot of people, you know, sometimes we go out to dinner with friends and they bring their kids. Sometimes they don't even talk to people. They all got their, they all got their phone. Well, and that's the thing. The, yeah. the social, the whole social fabric of the world is changing, and not in a good way. What kept a lot of our lives regular is our parents, or at least a, a, your dad had a, a regular job. He went to work. You had dinner together. Uh, you went to. Uh, some real church a religious service together there you, you celebrated holidays together there was an extended family and i think it all started with extended family people in our generation started you moved away and then you didn't come home and you never met your cousins and so the whole family unit has been uh, a different tangent for years and the, that's the shame because the roots that keep, keep you grounded Civil society, law abiding, whatever you want to say, are changing dramatically. Well, the whole idea. Uh, Andre, I, I really, I, I think you nailed a lot of points that I firmly agree with. And one thing it makes me think of, and, and I'd like your opinion on it, um, as part of this thing culture um, that you're describing, do you think, in say, in home ownership terms, that one of the things that we're seeing now with the drying up of, of cheap money uh, and, and high interest rates, it seems, for the short term or maybe the long term, that home ownership is now a privilege for those with cash in their hand to buy and they're not affected by high interest rates. And are you seeing that in the deals that you're putting together where there's a higher percentage of people with cash at the table, which you know, drives up bidding wars? and institutional buyers who are taking properties pretty much out of the private sector and making people the slaves of you know leasing for the rest of their lives. Is this big shift something that you're seeing even at the home sale level? I am seeing a lot of that. There's a lot of cash buyers around. And to your point, which I think is a huge problem, and the government has not addressed it nearly enough, as is huge companies buying thousands of homes and take and it sounds like a good theory in practice they buy these homes and they fix them up and they rent them out but how they rent them out shuts so many people out a lot of these are now run by professional corporations who demand three or four times people's salary before they'll rent to them. So if they're, you know, if they're, if rental, if you know, the house is $2,000 a month, you know, they want uh, six or $8,000 a month proven income before they'll even consider you. That, that's like, so the, that's like the top 10% of a neighborhood, you're, you're rehabbing, these people could never, uh, you made these beautiful homes, but the people who want to live there can't ever afford that. 
the well, uh, now I understand these companies are covering their butts, but you know if you want insisting or two thousand dollar rent, people make eight thousand dollars a month. How many people you know in truly in a, in a big city are going to fulfill that requirement in a, a, a low income neighborhood? Well, you just said multiply it by twelve, ninety six grand a year. What percent of the population makes ninety six grand a year? Fifteen percent. Well, you're hoping you've got two people who are making, you know, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a piece. But here's the problem: then it creates a cycle where they can't save enough to, of money to move on. So, and you're, you're, you're it's, it's a huge problem. I mean, that happened, I believe, on a massive scale in Detroit or, or, or some part in Michigan, I believe. But it's happened all over the country, and it also blocks a path not only to ownership, but it blocks the path to growing wealth for the mom and pop who started out like buying a two flat, living in there and maybe growing up and, and bought a four flat or a six flat. By the time they retire, maybe over 40, 50 years, they own maybe five or six buildings and now they have retirement income that they sell the buildings off, blah, blah, blah. That is becoming more difficult because these professional corporations come in and sweep up every opportunity. Um, I think every... Is that what you mean, John? Exactly. That's just what I feared, too, Audrey. Yeah. Well, every time you see this kind of movement up and down in interest rates that favors one or the other, I mean, economically, I, I couldn't do it on the radio, and I'm not so sure I could do it off the top of my head yet, but you you should be able to, I'm going to say blackboard. How does that date myself? Uh, Pretty much. On a blackboard, over a long period of time. On a whiteboard, but go ahead. Yeah, whiteboard. Go ahead. Audrey's always trying to drag me into this century, John. How's she doing with that? Uh, the, uh, you should be able to say that in a, in a stable society where, where interest rates are stable, that there should be no advantage, really, maybe a little bit of ownership versus leasing, because there shouldn't be that big of an advantage to own. When I say the same thing, you know, should have happened on the trading floor. I mean, if if I'm an entrepreneur. And I have ideas, and, and I'm building businesses, and I'm hiring people. I shouldn't have to commit my capital to a house. I should be able. There are people in New York that, for generations, did nothing but rent. They never were hurt by that, were they? Because the rent oh. prices were fair versus the place. I'm not going to go into rent control and other kind of crap, but I'm saying, if 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 I'm going to make you know one or two percent appreciation in my building a year, okay, over a long period of time, but the three of us are in the, maybe we're in the real estate business, maybe we're in the, the trading business, maybe we're in the auto business. We should be able to find areas where we make more than that, okay, and then we should just, we should not put 300000 down on a house if we can buy a restaurant for 300000 and make money and employ people. It, you should, it shouldn't be this screwed up where for long periods of time only people that own buildings make all the money. And all of a sudden, the renters are like quadrupled. It's it's all screwed up based on on these policies because it favors one group for a while, then another group for a while, and it usually it's the same group. And it's in a, it you know everything you guys are talking about and and we can get tied back economically. I mean, why should somebody be sitting there with a three and a half percent mortgage when a year later it's eight? That's insanity, isn't it? No. Yep. I mean, <laughs> don't yes, don't. Yeah. <laughs> not if you got, not if you got the three percent. Well, but I'm saying, it, it, why, why hasn't it just been five and a half, five, five and a half, six over a 15 year period where that, that's not a, where you know, you know what you're dealing well, with. Well, it's your crazy economic people. You, you tell us. 
I don't see. That's what I'm thinking. I don't think it's become economics because I can. I mean, our, our buddy Carl. I know we got to go because we're running over here, but buddy Carl said he managed to make it uh, into Congress one time, and he and he talked about the deficits here and that. He got he didn't make it to representatives or senator, but he got a, a group of three or four staffers, and he said the thing that really pissed him off was that they knew everything he was talking about. It wasn't a shock to him. It was like. Milton Friedman going to Washington saying, hey, you, you are the idiots that are creating the inflation with the Federal Reserve in the 60s and 70s. They, they know it. So obviously they're doing it for a purpose. What's the purpose? It's, it must be to give money to somebody other to, to benefit of other, to the detriment of other people, right? Somebody wins, somebody loses. Yep. I mean, I don't, I don't know who we're, someday maybe we'll find the man behind the curtain, but I, there's somebody or a, or a group behind the curtain. I don't know who it is, but I, it's not us, is it? John, you missed a hell of a Schwab, John, you missed a hell of a party on uh, on uh, Saturday, and I don't know if you'd have been like Greg Pappas, who managed to he turned the screw for the press for like an hour and a half. I don't know, you could have spelled him. <laughs> Plus, you had a ride home. Just saying, Un- unbeatable combo. Tom. Unbeatable. That's the future's up. To, unbeatable. Plus, we had how much food was left over? Enough for like a hundred people. Oh, don't say food was delicious. There was some excellent wine there. And there was some interesting creatures off the softball team. You ever, you ever <laughs> met a more opinionated group other than traders? So <laughs> they had, uh, I think, a good time was had by all. S&P futures up 25, Nasdaq futures up 100. Thank you, guys. Uh, back tomorrow, Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex, offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. Time to time, everyone goes bust. You'll be back in the game before you know it.